1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that healthcare has to truly become consumer first, and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about building the healthcare of tomorrow. We recently passed 175 episodes in three years on the air. We're now in season six, where we're focusing on how to operationalize and scale consumer-first healthcare and digging into the details of how to make it happen. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about heating the call for health systems to lean into digital and drive change. We want to disrupt back and go on offense, and we want to do it quicker and more nimbly than ever before. So where do we start? I'll talk about that. Then Dr. Paul Thomas is in the house to share some provocative thinking about direct primary care and other consumer-first care models. We'll talk about how the DPC model is making it possible for consumers to have control of their care and providers to work outside of the system. This episode is jam packed and we have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go.
0: Flavor of the week.
1: The call has been made. How will you respond? Aaron Martin has issued what may be the best, loudest call to action yet for health systems to lean into digital and drive change. Aaron is the Chief Digital and Innovation Officer for Providence and also Managing General Partner for Providence Ventures, where he's responsible for early-stage venture technology and device investments for the $300 million Providence Venture Fund. I invite you to read his full post on the Providence Digital Innovation Group blog and share it with your leadership team. Listen carefully to how he describes the reactions to big tech's recent shifts in healthcare strategy. And I quote, While big tech pivots, reorganizes, or whatever, health systems still have the competitive threats of well-funded disruptors and national payer providers. Healthcare also has massive workforce challenges, a broken fee-for-service system, and the COVID-19 pandemic, which is becoming endemic and creating widespread workforce burnout. It could be tempting for health systems to take solace in this news, say, told you so, and go back to business as usual, which is beyond challenging right now with COVID, competition, and labor shortages. Instead, we need to step up and lead disruption. Remember, health tech companies, big and small, have several disruptive advantages compared to health systems. They're digital first, have fewer financing constraints, have lower fixed cost and capital infrastructure. They target only our profitable services, have sometimes massive audiences, and they have a focused value proposition and brand. Furthermore, they're getting traction. However, health systems are uniquely positioned to drive the change that patients need. We deliver most of the care, know the complexity of that care intimately, and have trusted brands. Given the complexity of the healthcare industry and the data and privacy issues involved, Understanding the complexities and scale of healthcare is critical to driving sustainable innovation, and health systems are domain experts. As such, the onus is on us to disrupt from within and not view these changes as a signal to slow down from the momentum of 2020. End quote. If I had to paraphrase, it would be carpe diem or else. We want to bring the innovative mindset and tools of the disruptors to the mainstream. We want to disrupt back and go on offense, and we want to do it quicker and more nimbly than ever before. I continue to say that I root for health systems and provider organizations to be the ones driving this change. How do we do that? Here are three steps that everyone can take regardless of the position you hold or the type of organization you belong to. Number one, Take part in new conversations that you wouldn't normally participate in. It's awfully hard to gain an innovator's mindset by staying in your silo and doubling down on your existing view of the industry. Number two, pursue partnerships. You don't have to build every solution. That will take too long. And it's impossible for any single organization to have strengths in every area that's needed. Three, become experts. Some might even say obsessed with what consumers actually want. How they behave with their healthcare choices and what causes those behaviors to change well before they become patients. No more excuses, no more fear. It's time for health systems to step up and lead disruption. That's another way we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week.
2: Righty, uh, This week, we've got Dr. Paul Thomas in the house. I'm very excited for this conversation. I've mentioned to him, I'm a fanboy of DPC as a care model, and we're going to dig into that, what that means, and, and how it's different, and the, the line of thinking that goes into it. Uh, but before that, uh, let me introduce Dr. Thomas a little bit better. Dr. Thomas is a board-certified family medicine physician. He's practicing in Corktown, Detroit. His practice is Plum Health DPC. It's a direct primary care service that that's the first of its kind in Detroit and Wayne County. He's also the author of two books on direct primary care. The first one is Direct Primary Care, The Cure for Our Broken Healthcare System. And the second one was a follow-up for, for doctors looking to grow their own practice. Uh, it was called Do- Startup DPC, How to Start and Grow Your Direct Primary Care. Welcome, Dr.
3: Thomas. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, and thanks for that great introduction. You can see my bias in the title of my first book, that The Cure for Our Broken Healthcare System, because I truly believe that direct primary care Gets us closer to a better healthcare system.
2: I'm not one who's ever going to uh, dissuade us from from having a big thinking. This is what healthcare needs, you know. And so to to make statements like that when we can back them up, <laughs> I think yeah. it's fantastic. What did I miss in the intro? Like, what what else uh, do we uh, should we know about you as a person and as a doctor? And and uh, what else you've got going on?
3: You know, I grew up in Detroit area. I was born in Detroit, and uh, I grew up here. And my Looking around my community, I saw the healthcare disparities between communities. For example, if you are in Oakland County, which is just north of Detroit, there's one primary care physician for every 600 residents. But if you're south of Eight Mile in Detroit, there's one primary care physician for every 6,000 residents. And that's a 10x disparity in healthcare access for primary care services. And so my whole ethos is trying to Get at that differential and try to correct those things by providing excellent healthcare in the city of Detroit. It's fabulous. It's thinking right off the bat. As
2: we drill down into this and, and what direct primary care is, because I think a lot of our listeners are, are familiar with it in some way or another, but just to, to know that this is the way you're approaching it, you see a need here, you observe something in your own community, and it sounds like that impacted the trajectory as you went through your training of what could be done and, and where you end up specializing. So, so let's dig into uh Give like a primer of DPC itself for those who aren't quite as familiar. uh, Can you describe the, the model and how it's different than traditional primary care?
3: Yeah, for sure. It's a membership model for healthcare. And our patients pay us directly about $50 a month per patient. It's $10 a month for kids, $50 a month if you're under 40, $70 a month if you're over 40. With that membership, our patients can come in and see us anytime they need to. They can call, text, or email us. We guarantee a same day or next day appointment, and we don't charge them a copay or a per visit fee. So you don't need to have insurance to be a part of our service. We encourage folks to have insurance as a financial tool to protect them from bankruptcy in the case of a heart attack or stroke or car accident. But we see people from across the spectrum of our community. And what's great about our membership model is that we don't exclude people who are uninsured. We take care of everyone in our community There's a lot of people who are disqualified from Medicaid, let's say, but don't earn enough to afford private insurance that are often left out of our traditional healthcare system, like the bartenders, truck drivers, waitresses of the world who can't access a doctor because they don't have insurance for whatever reason. And then we're able to save people 50 to 90% in medications, labs, and imaging services and People are blown away by the savings just on meds alone, for example. And so, those are the really important things that make us unique. And do you have any examples of
2: some of the discounts on you're mentioning uh, on medications and, and labs and other services? Uh, do you have any examples off the top of your head, like how much uh, any of those would cost compared to what they normally do?
3: Sure. So, let's say you have diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol, and you have to be on three or four medications for that. You might have a ten or twenty dollar copay every time you fill those prescriptions each month at the pharmacy. So it could be 30 or $40 a month. And we're able to get those medications for pennies. So metformin for diabetes is 1.2 cents a pill, and amlodipine for high blood pressure is 0.9 cents a pill. And so if you're looking at getting a month's supply of those two meds, it's 30 cents a piece about, or 36 cents for the metformin. And then for the statin med, you know, it's might be three cents a pill, so it's 90 cents for that. So then, you know, all in all, your meds for the month are about a dollar fifty or you know, under two dollars for your one month supply of your medications. So it's like a 90% savings. And then people are shocked and happy to see that we're able to do that for them consistently month over month. It's amazing. <laughs> It's, you know, for those who, who aren't familiar with
2: this, it might just sound too good to be true. They're like, like, what's the catch? And I will say, you know, I feel like I should disclose, you know, that that I have a relationship, like my primary care provider here in Phoenix is a direct primary care provider. So I can say like, I've lived this for a number of years now. And it's uh, it's amazing. And, and uh, me and my family, like we do have a health share as insurance for catastrophic needs. And so that combination, what it has done for us firsthand is allowed us to feel like we can actually call the doctor or in our case, text the doctor when we need something instead of saying it's too much of a hassle, it's too much of a cost. uh, We don't even, we don't like anything about the experience of it. Let's focus on the experience of what, like what this does. How is this a game changer for the patient? How does it change their decisions of whether they even seek treatment?
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, we... (laughs) It's funny you mentioned seeking treatment because we take care of so many people who come to our clinic for the first time, seeing a doctor for the first time in, for 10 or even 20 years. We have a lot of patients who have just been shut out of the traditional health insurance system because it's too expensive for them to even just have a basic appointment, either because their copay is too high or they're uninsured and it would be $250 just for one visit and they can't really stomach that. And so at our clinic, we greet people at the door by name. Sometimes I'll be up at the front working. If my medical assistant is rooming another patient, I'll greet my patients at the door, bring them back to the room, get their vital signs, sit down with them for an hour, and they can ask me any questions. We have some patients that read us poetry or show us their comic books that they're working on or tell us about their latest travel adventure. And we really just get to talk and know each other. And it builds this, you know, wonderful trusting relationship that's so important in primary care. And they can ask us as many questions as they want. You know, a lot of times you go see your fee-for-service insurance-based doctor, they'll say, "Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Only one or two questions allowed at today's visit because I only have eight, or I only have twelve, or I only have fifteen minutes today because I got to go on and see my next patient." So we're able to give people an excellent customer experience and then if somebody texts calls emails me i guarantee a response within 24 hours you know if you're calling me multiple times i'll drop everything and answer the phone and take care of you right away my aim is to answer the phone as soon as possible anyways but sometimes i'm with another patient or you know doing something at the moment so i can't really help them in the moment <laughs>
2: Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff and we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT.
1: Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you traveled down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. It's amazing. It
2: is such a different paradigm, like all the way across the board in terms of how it comes off to the consumer. Again, when this whole, when the whole theme of our whole season right now is how to operationalize consumer first care. I don't think if I brought any healthcare organization on here, any provider administrator, digital health startup, no one's going to say that they are not consumer first or that they haven't thought about the patient. And yet there's so little that's actually happening, that it, there's, there's all this cognitive dissonance when I hear that term. And so now I'm trying to, to really operationalize that and, and and say there's a new tool set that's been in our hands for even the, the concept of direct primary care to be available now and for practices to be growing says that there is a shift in thinking and that there there's a new set of tools to even think about how healthcare is delivered. Uh, Do you want to speak to that? Like what's driving the growth of direct primary care itself in your opinion?
3: Well, I think there's a lot in our society that's moving to a membership model. So, you know, you can point to Netflix as like the most well-known or even like a gym membership. Gym memberships have been around for a long time. You pay, you know, 30, 40, 50, a hundred dollars a month and you can go to the gym as often as you want to and work out as much as you want to. And sometimes they'll have a free training hour or a you know cycle session that you can drop in on as part of that gym membership. So I tell people our service is like that. You know, It's like a gym membership. I want you to come in and use it as much as you can because the more you use it, the better you are going to be in terms of your overall health. And so we encourage people to step in and use it. But if you look at Netflix, you know, people have video on demand. They can watch any video or tv show that they want especially with amazon you know you can go in you're a member of amazon so you can then download any movie that you want to watch for an additional three dollars and 99 cents or whatever audi is doing this right you can be like an audi member and pay you know like a thousand dollars a month or you know one of these luke's car companies and you can drive any like audi that you want as often as you want and so I think our consumers and our culture are getting more and more comfortable with those kind of memberships ideas and the benefits that they bring them, and so healthcare is really lagging in that regard, and it's really lagging in that personalized approach and um, the high touch or better service that customers in the in the general ecosystem come to expect. You know, people want to be treated with care in a personalized way, and when you're just a number. In the insurance company role, you end up waiting 24 days on average for a primary care appointment. And then you get to the doctor and you wait an hour to see the doctor for for 10 or 15 minutes. And so that's completely backwards. And that's the kind of system that we're trying to disrupt. We want to flip it on its head and say, you can text us. We guarantee a same day or next day appointment. We'll get you in for an hour. There's literally no way to at our office. I don't even know why we have a waiting room because people just come right back to the exam room and we see them right away.
2: That, so you mentioned so an
3: hours, is that, is that kind
2: of typical for how, like how much time you'd have on the books for an appointment?
3: Yeah, typically I see about five patients a day and I can see them for up to an hour. I block off most patients for one hour or 30 minutes. You know, Usually if somebody just needs a med refill, I'll block them out for 30 minutes and we'll just check their blood pressure, get their vital signs, make sure they're doing well, and uh, refill their meds and take care of any little questions that they have. But if I know somebody is more complex and they're going to need more time, I definitely block them out for an hour. And to put that into context, I'm able to do that because I have 500 patients. 500 patients seems like a really big number. But if you see a primary care doctor who accepts insurance, the average primary care doctor who accepts insurance has 2,000 400 patients, and they have to see 1% of their panel to be sustainable and to take care of their patient's needs. So that's 24 patient visits in a day. And that works out to 20 minutes per patient visit, which is a tiny minuscule amount of time. And you have to factor in the, the fact that they have to chart all that data into the EMR. So if you look at our service with 500 members, you know I see five patients a day because that's 1% of my panel. Therefore, I can set aside an hour for them, and then I have three hours left in my day to have conversations like this, or work on administrative tasks like, you know, sending a records release to a hospital to learn more about my patient, or calling a pharmacy to call in some medications for another patient.
2: It's interesting, you mentioned the charting time that's required. On average, it sounds like you'd have less charting time. I mean, because you're seeing fewer patients. I mean,
3: is that accurate? Yeah. If you see a doctor in the fee for service system know that they're spending two-thirds of their time charting and one-third of their time seeing patients, which is absolutely insane. But there are studies that have shown that doctors are spending more than half their time looking at their computer, checking boxes in their computer, and then less than half of their time looking at and taking care of their patients. And again, that's completely backwards. I want to flip that on its head where I spend the majority of my time looking at my patient, taking care of them, and a, a tiny fraction of my time charting. For context, your family doctor in the insurance system spends 86 minutes every single night doing what are called pajama notes. They have so much documentation to do, so much clinical documentation to do in the electronic medical record that they go home, they make dinner or pick up, takeout, have dinner with their family, tuck the kids in bed, put on their pajamas, and they spend 86 minutes or an hour and 26 minutes every single night charting. And that's an average. Some doctors probably do more. Some doctors probably do less. But that's the burden of working in the insurance industrial complex where you're beholden. You can only get paid through the EMR if you check certain boxes. So doctors spend the vast majority of their time ensuring that they check the right boxes so they get the most money back. And so I argue that For doctors in the insurance-based system, their primary customer is not the patient. It's the insurance company. Otherwise, why would you spend the vast majority of your time on the EMR to satisfy the insurance company? You wouldn't do that if your primary customer was your patient. You'd be really focused on taking good care of your patient and taking care of their needs. I love that point because it points out that there
2: is a way to improve and incentivize the provider, By providing care this way, and it's not, you know, by putting the consumer first, there's actually a a way to make it better and less of a burden on the provider too. What led you to pursue DPC? What attracted you to it?
3: Well, I was just looking around at my residency preceptors, the doctors who were practicing in my residency, and they were constantly complaining about prior authorizations and pack schedules. Their schedules were too full, couldn't Mm -hmm. give their full time and attention to their patients because they were too busy. And too busy with documentation requirements, checking boxes, and satisfying the needs of the insurance company. I didn't want to live my life hating my job because of documentation requirements from an insurance company. I went into medicine to take care of patients and I saw direct primary care as a way of achieving that goal. And so I started this practice in Detroit and started serving my neighbors with excellent primary care services. And we've had a really good growth trajectory. We've hired three doctors and uh, we have a thriving practice here in the city, city of Detroit in the Corktown neighborhood. That's fabulous. I Because I think that's a big piece of this puzzle. When we're looking at
2: any talk about making healthcare more patient first, more consumer first, I've talked to physicians who just kind of hang their head and say, yes, there are things I'd like to do but I don't know how to do that. That's just more of a burden on me. That's more time. In addition to my charting, in addition to everything else I've got to do outside the clinic. And so they end up just saying, I don't know. I don't know how any of that would fit. I want to be more patient first. You know, I I want to put people's needs ahead. Like I want to help them even with more preventive care, you know, more well-rounded system and supportive care. They just don't even know where to go with it. And so what we're seeing here, what you're saying, if I understand this correctly, I mean, this isn't just patient first, consumer first. Like it actually does reduce the burden on the provider in allowing you to do that because th- that's the paradigm that I've seen from other clinicians is that they just think, I can't have one, like I can't do things that are more patient first uh, without a bigger burden
3: on me as the provider. So, I mean, there's a way to do both, at least to some degree. I think that fee for service docs have so many documentation requirements that their time is so constrained. That it's really hard to fit in any other metric. And I saw this firsthand working in residency at our large corporate healthcare system. They would try to put a new initiative and it would feel like, you know, ramming something down somebody's throat because, you know, it was force fed to us because our time was already spoken for in terms of the documentation that we needed to do. And it just felt like one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. And eventually you just have less and less time for your patients. So the more like, you know, projects that you try to implement with doctors in a healthcare system, it just ultimately comes down to less time, less of their time with patients. And I just saw that happen firsthand and I didn't want anything to do with that. Fantastic! Tell a little bit more about your work, helping other,
2: other providers launch their DPC practice. What has led you to be so involved with helping other people grow theirs?
3: Frankly, we started a successful practice, and I've been really vocal about direct primary care as an excellent way to take care of patients. And the more success we've had, the more doctors have reached out to me and asked me, how did you do this? How did you do this? How did you do that? And so I kept all those answers in, in like a Word document, and it eventually became a book. And um, I published that book. It's available on Amazon, Kindle version, uh, paperback version, you can order it there. And then I had more people reach out who read the book and then they were asking about more specific situations. So I'd record a short video and send it to them. I saved all those videos and I created some online courses. And then after I created those online courses, people wanted to know more information. So I started hosting master classes at our office. And so it's been really great working with DPC doctors or aspiring DPC doctors because I'm really excited to see more doctors adopt this model, and so if I can help them in this way, I'll be achieving that goal. And and a rising tide helps all ships. The more people who know about direct primary care, the more people will adopt it, and the more people adopt it, the more it will become normalized in our society, and we'll all win as patients, as doctors, as communities, because When you have a great doctor, it lowers downstream costs. You have less ER visits, less strain on our emergency departments, especially in this time of COVID. It also raises people's health literacy. We have the time to explain to our patients what's going on with their health, and they can use that information to inform their family members, their neighbors. And then for doctors, we have more time with our patients and greater job satisfaction. And the knowledge that we're doing our best every day for our patients and we have enough time to treat them the way we'd want our family members to be treated or our friends to be treated. And so that's a good feeling all the way around. I wanna ask, as we kind of wrap up here, thinking about
2: other types of healthcare organizations that that are somewhere along this journey of trying to figure out how to either reestablish their business model or model of care, or even just anything about a patient experience to make themselves more consumer first like they're they're in the boat of they want to be more consumer first but they don't know where to start are there any learnings or any anything about the DPC model or anything you've learned thus far that might be useful for to share with with somebody in that situation that maybe they maybe they're not a family practice you know physician but uh, is there anything about uh, just about your journey so far that could be useful to share
3: yeah i think it's really important to sit down with perspective users of your, let's say, app or patients in your practice and see what they are hoping for. What do they need? What is a need that they have in their life? What would it mean to them for that need to be solved? And so that's where we do a lot of our storytelling around our practice is our patients who've had great experience in our practice. We really listen to them and try to understand what made it great. And then we also, for everyone that leaves our practice, we send them a survey, an exit survey about how they like their experience and what we could have done better to keep their business. And so, you know, we really focus on making sure our patients have a great customer experience throughout their journey. And, um, you know, you can see that in our Google reviews and our Yelp reviews, et cetera. But that's been cultivated by listening, listening to our patients, listening to our community seeing what they need and trying to meet that need with a service that's excellent that's customer focused that communicates well and all the things that make us for a successful business and so that's been our focus is just listening to our patients listening to our community and and trying to deliver something excellent for them.
2: Thanks for giving us a few minutes today. I know you've got a plenty going on here, but genuinely being able to share this, uh, the healthcare of tomorrow looks bright when we hear about things like this, you know, about the journey you've gone on and and uh, what it means for uh, for healthcare consumers. How do listeners connect with you if they'd like to reach out to you? Is that like on LinkedIn or a website? Where's the best place for them to find you?
3: Yeah, we're on the web, PlumHealthDBC.com. And um, we're on all the social media channels at PlumHealthDBC. We're on Instagram at PlumHealthDBC, Twitter, YouTube at PlumHealthDBC. And then I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to reach out and connect there, MD. one I think it's like LinkedIn.com slash PaulThomasMD. You can find me there.
2: Great. Thanks so much. All the best. Uh, stay safe, stay well. And uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes.
3: Thanks for having me on. It's been great, Jared. And best of luck with the podcast. Thanks so much.
2: Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for Chief Digital Officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem. That's the digital voice we want to capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum.
1: Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Thanks so much to Dr. Thomas, and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, can you do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app, then tell your friends and colleagues about this show. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare app is a member of the Shift.Health content network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health content network. In fact, go check out the latest podcast in our network. It's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video shows are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.